First Timothy chapter 1, verse number 18. Paul says to Timothy, This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience. By rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith, among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, that they may not they may learn not to blaspheme. Our Father, we ask the blessing of your Holy Spirit upon the reading of his inspired, inerrant, authoritative, infallible, and sufficient word. God, we pray that you would take it now and use it in a special way. Lord, whatever you've got planned for today through this message, were not, they were not our plans, but you changed them. And so, Lord, whatever it is, we submit to it, and we pray that your, your, your Spirit would do His work in our hearts and draw us closer to Christ through these verses. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Over the past few years, um, it has become increasingly common in the church I mean the church at large, not necessarily this church, but the church at large, it has become increasingly common to hear stories of those who lose their faith. They leave the church, they turn away from Christianity. Anybody heard any stories like that? Maybe you read them on the internet. Even well-known pastors, famous Christian musical artists, Worship leaders, they're, they're abandoning their profession of faith and then they'll go online and share their, their deconversion story all over the internet. And everything these days goes viral, especially from someone who's well known. Believe it or not, there are actually even ex Christian support groups that you can join that will help you deconvert from Christianity and provide counselors to help with your religious recovery. That is, that's not an exaggeration. I was on one website this morning just looking. Preachers on there. Christians raised Christians. That's all they've ever known. They're on there. It's almost become kind of faddish. You know, it's a fad these days to, to lose your religion, so to speak. And then post your story on Instagram or whatever social media. And friends, whether or not that you have personally heard of or read any of those stories, do not think for one second that it can't happen right here in this church. Did you just hear what I said? It can happen here in our families. So we need to let this hit close to home. Because what if it's your son or daughter who was raised in the faith, who sat perhaps on these front pews for the children's message week after week? What if it's your son or daughter who was taught all the right things 
who lived under the blessing of godly influences both at home and at church? What if it's one of our own that one day says, I just don't believe anymore? What if it's your husband or your wife who says that they're, they're done with Christianity? You've got to let it hit home. But you know, as common as this seems to be right now, this falling away, this defection, this deconversion stuff, it's not really anything new, is it? <laughs> not new. There have always been defectors from the faith, even in the early church. And we meet two of them in our text this morning. Their names are Hymenaeus and Alexander. And Paul writes to his young pastor friend Timothy, encouraging him to keep the faith, to keep the faith to fight for truth, even when others are turning away from it. And his counsel to Timothy is still and always, always, friends, so relevant for us today. So let's work through these three verses this morning and find three ways that we can keep the faith no matter how many others around us might abandon it? The first is to draw strength from our calling. To draw strength from our calling. Paul says in verse 18, This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child. In a, obviously his, his spiritual child, right? In accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare. Now, Paul is speaking to Timothy here as pastor to pastor. And this charge that he entrusts to him is the very same charge that he laid out in verses 3 through 5, which was the charge to silence the false teachers, to shut them down in the church at Ephesus. It's a charge to fight for the truth that he calls in verse 18, waging the good warfare. Waging the good warfare. You see, friends, Satan is after the hearts and minds of every living soul on this planet, including everyone in here. And we are in a battle for truth and faith every single day of our lives, whether we realize it or not whether it's the, the infiltration of the progressive ideologies of our culture that's creeping into the church, or it's a, maybe it's the compromise of evangelical pastors like, like Andy Stanley, right? The compromise of, of, of evangelical pastors on key biblical truths like, like creation, the, the gospel, like the inerrancy and the authority and the sufficiency of Scripture or whether it's the, the collision of worldviews that our children face every single day in government schools. Friends, yes, we are absolutely at war. And yet the Apostle Paul 
calls it a good warfare. You see that? I mean, I'm, when is war ever good? <laughs> he calls it a good warfare. Wage the good warfare. Why does he call it that? The good warfare. He calls it that because the fight for truth, the fight for faith is always good. It is, in fact, the ultimate good. There is no higher good than the fight for truth and faith. But it does get tiring, doesn't it? It does get tiring. We do get weary. So where do we draw strength then to wage this good warfare? Paul says it in the middle of verse 18. It comes from the certainty of our calling. Look at it with me. The middle of 18. Verse 18. He says, In accordance, or according to, the, pro- the prophecies previously made about you, that by them, them is the prophecies, that by them you may wage the good warfare. So Paul, here, here's what's happening here. Paul is reminding Timothy that when times are tough, when the warfare gets bloody, and you're not sure how much more you have left in you, after fighting all those false teachers that you've got to deal with at Ephesus, after doing all that you have to do, Paul says to Timothy, remember when the council of elders, they were, remember when they gathered around you in prayer and confirmed God's call upon your life. He describes this event in Timothy's life just a couple of chapters over in chapter 4, verse 14. You can turn there if you want. It's not on the screen. But in 1 Timothy 4, verse, verse 14, Paul says, Do not neglect the gift that you have, which was given you by prophecy, when the council of elders laid their hands on you. In other words, they affirmed Timothy's calling and set him forth into ministry. And Paul wants him to go back and remember that when times get hard. When the warfare gets long, when he's in the trenches. Now, now I know that Timothy was a pastor with a pastor's calling. And that's definitely what Paul was talking about here. But friends, every single one of us, whether we're a pastor, a farmer, a banker, a school teacher, a work-at-home mom, or whatever... You are. God has called all of us to fight for truth and keep the faith. Every single one of us. So whether you work at home or in an office or maybe you work out in the woods all day, as a believer, when times get hard, remember what God has called you to. Remember the high calling of truth and draw strength from it because the cause of truth is good. And it is worth fighting for. Don't give up when the battle gets hard. Second way we can fight for truth even as others around us fall away is to persevere in faith and godliness. 
look at the first part of verse 19. We need to persevere in faith and godliness. Paul says, holding faith and a good conscience. Holding faith and a good conscience. Now that's a, that's a very short kind of phrase, but it's packed full. You see, Paul said, he wants Timothy to know this is how you're going to wage the warfare. This is how you're going to do it. This is going to how you fight. This is how you're going to fight for truth by holding faith and a good conscience. That word "hold" in the original language can also be translated "have." It can also be translated "keep." And in context here, it means to keep the faith even when others are falling away. In other words, Paul means for Timothy to keep trusting in Christ no matter what. Are you a no matter what kind of person? I am. I'm one of these guys, when I get something on my mind, when it, when it gets ingrained in me and it, it gets hooked in me, I, I'm going to do it no matter what. I'm one of these guys that I, I, I just throw caution to the wind. I, if I feel like it needs to be said or done, I've got to do it no matter what. Are you a no matter what kind of person? That's what Paul wants Timothy to be. To hold faith no matter what. It doesn't matter if the world's most famous pastor turns away from Christ. You know what? It wouldn't matter if we find out in five years that Billy Graham had a mistress for 30 years of his ministry. What would that do to your faith? Would it shake you? It shouldn't. He's a man just like all of us. Or was a man. It doesn't matter if the world, John MacArthur, all of them, whoever your guy is, they come up and turn away from Christ. It doesn't matter. No matter if your son this is where it gets really close to home here. Whether it's your son or your daughter who turns away from Christ. No matter if it's your husband or your wife who turns away from Christ. No matter what, you keep faith. You keep believing. You keep trusting. And I wonder, friends, how many are here today who will hold faith like that even if those they love most turn away. Will you? Will I? Will I? Is your faith in Christ more important to you than your spouse? Than your children? Are you willing to let them go for the sake of Christ? And truth in the gospel? Is your faith in Christ more important than your job? Than the approval of man? Friends, I pray it is. I pray that it is. Because if it isn't, then you have reason to doubt whether your faith is real at all. You have reason to wonder if there's something in this world that would cause you to walk away from Christ for their sake, oh, 
then you have plenty of reason to wonder if you'll be one of those who defects from the truth and writes your own deconversion story on Instagram one day. Paul tells Timothy to hold faith. Keep faith. Anchor yourself in Christ. He also tells him here to hold a good conscience. Now, now what's that? What's it mean to hold a good conscience? You see, the conscience, every one of us has one. It is that built-in gift of God that, that keeps us from sin and error. That's what He designed it to do. That means that the only way to hold a good conscience is to live a life that God approves of. A life of godliness. A life of godliness. Not, 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 not a perfect life. Friends, we can't do that. None of us can live the perfect life. Jesus has already done that for us. <laughs> but, we, but we can live a godly life that God approves of because it is in sync with His will as it is revealed in His Word. See, when we read all these deconversion stories, these stories of these people falling away, more often than not, here's the common denominator. There is some cherished sin or some desire to live or to affirm a lifestyle that is clearly forbidden in Scripture. Let me give you a case in point. This is why we have a progressive movement that is sweeping through the church today that wants to completely redefine the clear teaching of Scripture on marriage and sexuality in order to accept and affirm the homosexual lifestyle. Now, I just didn't pull that rabbit out of a hat. Right? We have to make application. This is how this is working out right now in our culture. We're trying to redefine Scripture so that we can affirm that particular lifestyle. And I don't want to harp on that, but friends, I want to warn you, the further we go down this slippery slope, the more desensitized we're going to get toward it, and the easier it is, to, it's going to get to normalize all other kinds of depravity. I mean, we've already gone from gay rights to transgenderism, to the sexualization of children and drag stories in the local library in a split second, it seems like. And, and we have, the church, the church has had to bulldoze the clear teaching of Scripture every step of the way. But that's what happens when we don't hold to a good conscience, like Paul tells Timothy. We want to live in a, in a way that the Bible does, does not approve of, that it doesn't affirm of. So we either change the Bible or deny it altogether. But friends, we cannot redefine or reinterpret Scripture just to suit our particular lifestyle choices, whatever they may be. What God says is sin is sin. <laughs> and if we... if if we're to hold to a good conscience, then we have to live a life of godliness 
that is consistent with what God says in His Word. That's why the attack is always on this book. This is where ground zero is. This is it. If you can, if you can change this book, if you can, if you can prove that this is not God's Word, that it contains error, that it's not wholly true in everything that it says, then you can make it say anything you want to and there's no point in having any such concept of absolute truth anymore after that. And if we continue in the church today to redefine biblical truth and tell ourselves those lies long enough, then we'll begin to believe those lies and error will become truth. And truth will become error. And my brothers and sisters, that is exactly what we are seeing in our culture today. And that is why so many professing Christians are turning away from Christ. 1 Timothy 4.1 says this, Now the Spirit expressly, expressly says that in the latter times, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons speaking lies and hypocrisy. And here it is. Having their own, you know this verse, right? Their own what? Their own conscience. Seared with a hot iron. I iron my clothes all the time. Yes, my wife. Sunday morning, she came in here to the room this morning. I was doing something. And she said, Give me, let me have Calvin's pants. I said, here, let me hit him with the iron first. Because I know he, you know, he, he, he's doing this offering stuff. I don't want him walking around in wrinkly pants, right? So I iron my clothes, all of it. But I tell you what, I get so zealous about ironing sometimes that, I, that I've, I've burned my clothes before. I've like, you know how that stuff gets on your iron and just like, that, what is that, black? like dirt or something. I don't know what that is. It just gets on your iron and messes your shirt up. I've done it. It sears my clothes at times. Well, friends, I'd rather have my clothes seared than my conscience seared. That's what we're living in. But here's the scary part about that verse. What I just read in 1 Timothy 4.1 about in the latter times some will depart from the faith searing their own conscience with a hot iron. Here's the scary part about it. Paul was talking about what was going on in Timothy's situation in Ephesus in the middle of the first century. This isn't some prophecy that's going to be fulfilled you know, 800 years or 1,000 years or 2,000 years in the future. No, Paul said it's already happening. So how much more is it happening today how much more is this defection from the faith happening today? How much more are the consciences of people being seared? Huh. Well, we see it every day in our culture that we must, we must persevere in faith, holding faith, and a good conscience. We must persevere in faith and godliness, no matter how many are falling away around us. Friends, if you're the last Christian left on planet earth, would you still believe? That's the question that we have to ask ourselves.
everybody else falls away, will you still believe? Will you still hold faith? Will you still hold a good conscience? Lastly, to fight for truth, we must remember those who have fallen away. Now, you've heard that phrase, remember the fallen before, right? That's, all, that's, that's a good thing. This is not a good thing today. We must remember those who have fallen away. Look at the last half of verse 19. Paul says, by rejecting this. Now, the this there is faith and a good conscience. Okay? By rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith. made shipwreck of their faith. Friends, these, these are some of the saddest and most frightening words in all of the Bible. The possibility of shipwrecking our faith. It's a graphic image that Paul paints here for Timothy. The pastor of that church at Ephesus that by rejecting faith in Christ, by rejecting a good conscience, a godly life, some of His people may actually shipwreck their own faith. That word shipwreck means, it means a total loss. You saw the image that was up there this morning of that. I don't know, I just downloaded it from the web. A total loss, nothing recoverable. Paul uses it here to refer to the complete ruin of one's faith. And friends, let me tell you, I have no doubt in my mind that when Timothy read this letter from Paul, he began to worry about some folks in his congregation. Perhaps he was concerned that the false teachers that Paul told him to silence had already sunk their teeth into the faith of some of his people. You see, every faithful pastor has his people on his mind all week long. Their faces, their needs, their struggles are in his prayers. And I have no doubt that Timothy was on red alert when Paul started talking about those who had shipwrecked their faith. In verse 20, he tells us their names. Verse 20, Among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan that they may learn not to blaspheme. Now we don't know a lot of we don't know a lot about these particular guys from Scripture. I think the the name Alexander actually shows up in the New Testament five times, but there may be very well five different Alexanders, or at the very least three. We don't know a lot about them, but what we do know is that they both were once professing believers who were now opponents of the truth. They were once professing believers, but now they were opponents of the truth. I used to be a youth pastor. And by youth, I don't mean like, you know, we call our young, our young ones here youth group. I mean, like I was a, I was a teen pastor. I 
pastored from 13 up to 18. And my mind goes to student after student after student who once sang on the youth praise team or was at youth group every time the doors were open. They, they led in prayer. They would pray. At, I remember we had a youth retreat one time in Myrtle Beach. We had kids, tears streaming down their face. Came to me afterwards, talked for hours with them about their faith. And now they're either apathetic towards Christ or they have completely rejected Him and just don't believe anymore. I can see their faces. I can remember their names. Just like Paul named these two guys who were once, most likely, in the church at Ephesus. But he says he's now turned them over to Satan. Oh, my friends. I feel the weight of that phrase. Paul says, I've turned them over to Satan so that they may learn not to blaspheme. What in the world does he mean? Here's what he means. He basically means that these two guys were put under church discipline. They were likely brought before the elders of the church and admonished to repent. You remember all that stuff in Acts chapter 20 where Paul says, for three years, day and night, I pleaded with you with, in, in tears. I can, see, I can see this right here. Paul pleads perhaps with these guys, with tears, to repent. But they refused. And so they were excommunicated from the church. To put it in terms that we might understand, they were barred from the life and the fellowship of the church. They were removed from the membership role, so to speak. They were not admitted to the table of the Lord. Right? They were not welcome around the people of God while in rebellion against God. You see, friends, in spite of what all the lone ranger Christians out there, and there's a ton of them out there, that think they don't need to church. They can watch something on live stream. I hate live stream. Lone Ranger Christians. They don't, they don't need it. They say, in spite of all of them, there is protection in the fellowship of the church. Did you hear me? There is there, you are you are in a you want to talk about safe you're just they have these safe places on college campuses right now. Friends, this is the safest place that our souls could be right now. This is a safe space. And when you are placed outside of it, 
Paul says it's, it's like being handed over to Satan. Friends, you are at great risk. Just like the sheep that is separated from the safety of the flock under the watchful eye of the shepherd. Easy prey for the wolves. Paul said that he has in his apostolic authority turned these two men over to Satan. But it's not, that's not the end, is it? See, there's a glimmer of hope here. You have to look deep to find it, but it's there. It's in those last few words, so that they may learn not to blaspheme. Paul says, I've handed them over to Satan. I've got to get them out of the church. They can't be at Ephesus any longer. So I'm going to hand them over to Satan so that they may learn not to blaspheme. In other words, Paul's hope is that these two men learn and return. His end goal is not punitive. It is redemptive as it is always with church discipline. He wants to see these two who had shipwrecked their faith. He wants to see... He wants to see them experience repentance, reconciliation, and restoration. Friends, I, I, I all morning long I, I've wanted to to bring this. You know, this is in, this is two thousand years ago in a city a long way away from here, in a culture way different from ours. But I've wanted to bring this home. So I want to ask you, will your name one day be remembered as one who shipwrecked their faith? Is there something in your life right now that might draw you away from Christ? Is it a relationship? Is it a a clear sin that you're committing? Is it a sinful habit? Is it some worldly pursuit? That's all outside stuff. But what's going on in your heart? See? What's going on in your heart? Is there some disappointment? Some, some lost dream? some unfulfilled expectation? Is there some kind of spiritual dullness or apathy in your heart? Is there something about to wreck your faith? Friends, I want to call you to just come to Christ as feeble and as broken as you are and say, Jesus, save me. It doesn't matter if you've already been saved. Listen, I pray Jesus save me all the time. I live in that. Jesus, help me. Save me from myself. Save me from those things out there that are going to, they're going to beach my soul, that are going to shipwreck my faith. Is there somebody here that you, that you have, that there's someone in your life that you need to pray for? Is it a husband, a wife, or a son, or a daughter, or a relative, a close friend, somebody that you love who's about to shipwreck their faith?
I want to invite you to, to, to once again just believe the gospel. <laughs> that Jesus came from His glory in heaven to our fallen sinful world and lived the perfect life that you and I could never live, ever live ourselves. We could never do it. He paid, he, he fulfilled every jot and tittle of the law of God for us. He did it for us. He died for us to pay the death penalty of sin that was hanging over our heads. And then three days later, He rose again to life so that all who would forsake themselves and trust only in Him would be covered in His righteousness and made right with an infinitely holy God. You see, Jesus just doesn't clean our slate, friends. He just doesn't wash us clean. He dresses us in His righteousness. That is the gospel. If you've never heard it before today, then you've heard it now. And it is the sweetest news that guilty ears could ever hear. And now we need to respond. So I want us to give us, I want to give us that opportunity. If, if God is moving over your heart right now, I want to invite you to come find a place to pray. If you need someone to talk to you or pray with you, I'll be glad to do that. We have others who will as well. They'll, they'll be happy to pray with you. Just, just friends, just do not, young people, Do not shipwreck your faith. Don't do it no matter what. Let's pray.